And I think the really, really great thing about all of these tactics is that we don't necessarily have to wait until we are older to do them. Uh, we can work on cultivating different strategies, um, such as you know gratitude, mindfulness, savoring positive moments, um, and reframing negative situations. And in doing so, we can kind of unstick ourselves from these kind of negative mindsets and develop more of a uh, positive outlook. You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and with me today is Dr. Kate Ledger. She is an assistant professor in the College of Arts and Sciences Psychology Department. Today, we're going to dive into strategies for coping with daily stress, including practicing gratitude and other positive behaviors. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ledger. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. So to start, just tell us a little bit about your story, uh, maybe about who you are as a person, what you research, and maybe how you ended up doing what you do. Sure. Uh, well, I research how people respond to and cope with stressful events in their daily life. Um, broadly, I look at why some people are better at coping with stressful events than others, as well as strategies that people can use to help deal with stressful events in their daily lives. Um, and I also look at how stress can impact our physical and mental health and our well-being, uh, such as why stress can be so detrimental to our health and well-being, and what people can do to maintain um, kind of happiness and positivity in the face of these everyday challenges. And I, I kind of came here because as a kid, I always loved just kind of asking questions and thinking about how the world worked and why people acted the way they did. Um, and I used to always say, you know, that when I grew up, I wanted to to be a philosopher because I thought it'd be so cool if my job were just to think about life's big questions all day. And then later on in life, when I when I discovered research and that that was an actual job, um, and I could actually, you know, kind of make it my job to systematically and empirically test questions related to people's actions and behaviors, um, I kind of knew that's that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I got into psychology and kind of stress and coping research in general when I was an undergraduate student. Um, I joined a health psychology research lab, and this lab was looking at the relationship between kind of smoking behavior and anxiety disorder. And I was really fascinated with this idea of, of kind of this mind-body connection, if you will, or the idea that our emotions and our feelings and how we handle stress and anxiety can literally impact our bodies and our physiology and our behavior. Um, and I just thought that was the most interesting thing in the world. And so that led me to pursue a PhD in health psychology, um, where I was you know, studying different ways of dealing with stress and how we regulate our emotional responses um, and how that can kind of shape our, our physical health and our well-being. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into what you've learned from your research. But um, I mentioned at the top two here that we were going to be talking about gratitude. So I like to always kind of start with a, a semi-fun question as well um, and, and something that's related to you. So we get to learn a little bit more about you as well. Um, so what have you been grateful for recently, both personally and professionally? 
Yeah, you know, I've, I've been reflecting on this uh, kind of a lot recently, especially given that we're in this holiday season. This is often a time when people take a moment to think about what they are grateful for. Um, you know, for me, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful that I have a job at this great university that really allows me to do the type of work that I love to do and that I have the freedom to ask the kind of questions that I want to ask. Um, I think personally, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful to have a family that I feel love and support from every day. Um, my family is quite spread out across the country. And so especially with with uh, you know, all that's been happening with COVID, it's been quite a challenge to see everyone. Um, so I'm really thankful that especially recently, I've been able to you know, see a couple of people I haven't seen in a while. Um, I also have a niece or a new niece that I haven't met in person yet. And so I'm really also thankful for the technology that lets us all connect virtually. And so I can you know, kind of feel like I'm connecting with her even when we can't be together in person. Yeah, I'd say my answer is actually pretty similar to yours. Professionally, I I'm surrounded by a lot of great people mm-hmm. um, and people that that know a lot about what they do and they really truly care. Um, and so that's always really energizing, and they're always willing to um, try new things and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm I'm definitely grateful for the opportunities that I get to be able to do things like this podcast or the video projects that I get to do um, with our team and those types of things that I really enjoy doing were things that um, weren't necessarily originally in my job. Um, these were things that I, I've been kind of allowed to explore um, and it's been really fun and, and and rewarding for me as well. And then personally, you mentioned um, family as well. I think that's a, that's a good one for me. I mentioned in the last episode um, that I'm a new father. Um, so I'm really really thankful for our support system. Um, not only kind of our extended family and friends who have donated their time or, um, food or anything like that. Um, but particularly my wife, um, who is, is also a professor (laughs) and she, uh, is balancing that with having a newborn. Um, and, and she's definitely working really hard and, and she's been really good to me during this time too. Um, and, and I think we've grown even further together. So I'm, I'm definitely thankful for her, um, and the relationship and connection that we have together. Um, and now the, the child we've made together too. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so, and so we're good. We're doing a little bit of me search today. Um, when we're mm. talking about that daily stress, because <laughs> that's, Absolutely. that's what we're about to, we're about to dive into. So, um, obviously that, uh, anybody who's been a new parent, I think has, has had this similar experience where, um, not only are you dealing with sort of the normal everyday stresses that you would come across, uh, but now I'm dealing with the ones that come along with the newborn as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some of this episode is a little bit of me search. So I'll um, I'll definitely admit that um, from the jump here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's let's jump into it. Let's jump into coping with daily stress. So um, even in sort of a quote unquote normal year, um, we know that this time of year, sort sort of that holiday season, end of the year, new year. Um, phase of of every year um, could be accompanied with feelings of stress and overwhelm. Um, but we know that it isn't unique to this time of year either, nor is it unique to the pandemic um, or any of the other things that we've been dealing with as a society over the last you know eighteen to twenty four months. In fact, is it is it safe to assume that on a daily or a weekly basis that everyone is faced with stressors and that sort of subsequent stress that follows? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so people experience kind of a daily minor or I guess acute stressful events relatively frequently as they navigate their daily lives. And, you know, this is regardless of, of the time of year or the fact that we are you know, still facing a global pandemic. Um, and so these 
kind of events could be a number of things. These could be things such as, you know, arguments with your uh, your friend or your partner about whose turn it is to do the dishes or to take the kids to school. Um, you know, this could be a, a stressful um, event at work or at school, such as an upcoming deadline or an upcoming work presentation um, or, you know, things such as dealing with the hassle of waiting in line of the grocery store or just waiting in particularly bad traffic. Um, and we respond to these stressful events in a number of ways. So if we get into an argument, let's say, you know, with a, a friend or a partner, for example, we have both immediate emotional and physical responses to that event. So our negative emotions will tend to go up. We have increased feelings of anger and irritation. Um, our positive emotions go down. So we you know, feel less happy and less calm. And then we also have physiological responses, such as, you know, increases in heart rate or blood pressure um, or increases in, in cortisol, which is one of our body's main stress hormones. Uh, and we, we may also experience behavioral changes, too. So we may turn to more negative health behavior, such as drinking, you know, overeating or maybe exercising less. But, but I think importantly, too, is that not everyone responds to daily stressful events in the same way. But in general, some people are more reactive to daily events than others. And some people take a longer time to recover from daily stressors than others. And the way that we respond to and deal with these types of events in our daily lives can have both immediate but also long-term consequences for our health and our well-being. We're talking about daily stressors. So these are, in reality, these are kind of the more of the minor things that you deal with on a more regular basis. These aren't the the big grand, like you're going through a divorce or you lost your job or you, maybe you lost a, a family member or a friend, um, those types of things, which are large stressors that don't happen as frequently. Um, so I think we kind of tend to think about these stressors in the short term. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned the long term there. What does that look like over the long term when we um, aren't able to cope as well as we would like or need? Right. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right is that when we think of these kind of more smaller, minor events that happen on a daily or a weekly basis, we think of the short term impacts on our you know, emotions or maybe sometimes on our kind of physical uh, uh, symptoms, but we don't necessarily think of the long-term health consequences. Um, and from a physiological standpoint, stress is not like these kind of short acute stressors aren't particularly harmful in the short term since our bodies are kind of built to handle short-term flight or flight situations. But over longer periods of time, being unable to cope with daily stressful events and kind of holding on to these experiences can have major impacts for our long-term health. And so when we look at people who are more reactive or take longer to recover from these events, and then we kind of follow up with them years later and, and ask them about their health and kind of look at their, at their health, what we see is that people who are more reactive to daily stressful events are more likely to have worse physical and mental health outcomes. And this even the, predicts the development of major health-related diseases, such as heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and mental health outcomes as well. So things like the development of depression and anxiety over the long term. Um, it even predicts mortality. 
so this could happen for a couple of reasons. Um, one reason is that when people have greater reactions and a harder time recovering from daily stressors, this can prolong activation of physiological stress responses. So over time, this kind of persistent activation of stress responses may lead to dysregulation of processes such as cardiovascular or immune functioning that can leave a person kind of vulnerable to disease and uh, you know, negative health outcomes. And then another way that responses to daily stressors can kind of shape future health is through their impact on health behaviors. So when people have a harder time coping with daily stress, they may also be more likely to engage in poor health behaviors, such as sleeping less or not exercising properly. And so these poor health behaviors over time can also lead to disease and disability as well. Yeah, so it sounds kind of like a snowball effect. Once that snowball gets rolling down the hill, it starts to kind of pick up steam and um, as it goes along, it gets bigger and bigger until you stop it in some way. Or I guess to kind of give another visual analogy to that would be like sort of breaking the chain before it gets too far down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's what it sounds like to me as far as that reactivity, because a concept we've talked about in previous episodes would be like you have this stimulus. Um, so something something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you have sort of this space um, between and then you have this response And so we've talked about, like even in the previous episode with my colleague, Jackie Carroll, um, about widening that space in between the stimulus and response Mm -hmm. um, and that ability to kind of slow down. Um, And so I think that kind of ties full circle here into into this, into that um, reactivity and what that looks like and then what the implications of that are down the line. Um, So we were kind of talking about that a little more broadly. Um, And this is now kind of specific to like a, a stressor. Um, and then the stress that follows. Um, and, and so you kind of talked about how people hold on to those, um, particularly as well. And, and I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely mm-hmm. guilty of some of those things as well. <laughs> Again, a little bit of that me search. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking answers for myself as much as I am um, to help other people learn about it here. But um, are there really any differences between the impacts of any of those sort of major stressful events? Um, say like a job loss or something like that versus the sort of those everyday ones we're talking about, like the traffic or the printer jamming for the fourth time that week? You know, I think, of course, one major difference between kind of these more major life events that you were talking about, such as, you know, a job loss or, um, you know, something like a divorce is that unlike kind of these major stressful events, daily stressors are frequent and happen to everyone kind of on a, either a daily or a weekly basis. Um, But both kind of major and minor stressors and our ability to cope with them can impact our health and well-being. And so major life events such as, you know, job loss or, you know, living through a natural disaster um, and also things like kind of really chronic stressors such as living in poverty um, or caring for a sick relative can also lead to significant psychological distress and physical health problems. Um, I, I actually think the really kind of important and interesting connection between major stressors and everyday stressors is that experiencing some sort of major life event or a longer, more chronic stressor can actually make us more vulnerable to the effects of daily stressors and can exacerbate our negative reactions to them and make it harder for us to cope with them. Um, So, you know, you use the example of of a printer jamming in the office, uh, you know, several times. 
Um, and that's certainly a hassle. I, I definitely feel that. Um, now, in the absence of a, a chronic stressor, a person might view a paper jam um, or a printer jam as kind of annoying, but, you know, relatively manageable, like slightly irritating, but something that you, know, you can deal with. Um, but the effect of a printer jam at work would be much greater for someone who, let's say, is experiencing um, like chronic work stress. So they have a job that they have a lot of pressure, a lot of deadlines, and it's just a really highly demanding job. And so for them, a printer jam might be a lot harder to deal with than someone who didn't have that chronic work stress. And so in that way, a major chronic stressor um, can make it a lot harder for us to deal with minor stressors as they come up um, in, in daily life. I really like that you brought up the chronic stressors too, because I think that's a distinction between the different types of stress that we've talked about. So we talked about sort of mm -hmm. two ends of the extremes. Um, we had like the daily kind of small stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and we had like the, the not so often really big stuff, but there is sort mm -hmm. of this middle area of that chronic stuff. And you mentioned um, like mm -hmm. caregiving, um, for example, or poverty or living in a pandemic for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those things are, are things that we're not able to ha handle um, or we don't have control over um, and, and most, I mean, a lot of these stressors we don't anyways, like the printer, like jamming, we don't really have control over that either. Um, so mm -hmm. we, we do have control over how we respond to it and that sort of thing. And so that's, that's kind of where I want to go with the sort of second half of this um, conversation. But, um, that it is really interesting to think about how chronic stress makes us more vulnerable to those more minor things. And, and I, I mean, I'm kind of, again, sort of talking personally here and, and just noticing over the years that like the common everyday stressors seem to just stick around a little bit longer um, than they should, even like after rationalizing to myself that like these are relatively minor things in the grand scheme of life. Like these are these are not things like me having to sit in traffic for five extra minutes in the grand scheme really is not that big of a deal. Um, and I've had to find ways like if it was a wreck, for example, I have to kind of switch my brain to like have empathy towards the person who's in that wreck um, so that mm -hmm. I'm not like dwelling on my inconvenience um, or something like that. But um, yeah, I've kind of over the over the years, particularly, um, I've kind of come to learn from listening to my colleagues um, and various TED Talks and those types of things that this is basically this is negativity bias. This is mm -hmm. um, that it's like clinging, uh, whereas mm -hmm. like the the positive things, I think Amy Ronquist Cadet even said this on our episode um, that it's like the the good things are like tef they're like hit Teflon and they slide right off um, and then some of these more negative experiences are like Velcro so they they stick mm -hmm. a lot easier um, so can you kind of just dive into and explain what negativity bias is sure yeah absolutely so I think you're exactly right so negative uh, negativity bias refers to the fact that we tend to be impacted much more by negative events than by positive ones. Um, and we give a lot more weight to and focus on negative thoughts, feelings, experiences, and, and even information that we're given. Uh, and this is really interesting because in general, we actually experience many more positive events than negative events on a given day. But at the end of the day, it's the negative events that we tend to dwell on and remember. Um, even if we know rationally that, you know, as, as you were saying, this negative thing, such as sitting in traffic for five minutes, um, you know, wasn't such a big deal in the grand scheme of things. 
Um, and I think a really great example of this is, you know, you give a presentation, maybe at work or at school, and the feedback that you get is relatively positive, right? Generally, people like it, they're saying great things about it. But then, you know, one person gives you some sort of, you know, negative comment or just like critique about your work. And then after the presentation is over, you know, what are you more likely to remember and dwell on? It's not the the myriad of positive feedback that you got, but it's that one negative comment that kind of stays with you and really eats away at you. Um, I know that's definitely, you know, I, I can see that in myself. And, and so I think dwelling on negative events can have, unfortunately, as we were talking about, major impacts on our health and well-being. And it can cause negative emotions to linger, which can lead to feelings of depression and anxiety, and you know, can lead to prolonged activation of, you know, physiological stress responses. And in, ad in addition to that, research has really shown that simply thinking about a negative event, so not even experiencing one, but just thinking about it can trigger stress responses in the same way as actually experiencing a negative event. So in that way, this negativity bias and kind of ruminating about negative things on a daily basis um, can leave us really vulnerable to both physical and mental problems. Again, I think about the the snowball effect of just thinking about it mm -hmm. can trigger those responses. That's like that seems so powerful um, and so hard to overcome <laughs> when, mm -hmm. when you think about it. Because <laughs> it's like, uh, and, and this is kind of leads into my next question: is like, is this a default setting for us? Like, is this like an evolutionary trait that we've we've developed, or is this something that we pick up over time, kind of individually and personally? Yeah, so um, so social psychologists will say that negativity bias is a fundamental principle of human behavior, uh, and we can see that it also can you know serve a potential adaptive evolutionary function as well. So you know if we think about you know thousands of years ago, you know paying attention to dangerous and negative threats was incredibly important. You know and the tendency to focus on you know even kind of potentially negative threats in our environment was one of the ways that our brain was trying to keep us safe from predators and, and other dangers. Um, and so those who paid more attention to negative you know stimulating events were just more likely to survive. Uh, and so we can kind of just actually see evidence for the innateness of this negativity bias, um, even in infancy, because we see that infants will even orient um, to negative stimuli much more readily than positive stimuli. So we can see this even in very, very young infants. Uh, we see that young children are much better at remembering threatening images, um, much better than non-threatening images. And even through adolescence and adulthood, negative events are more likely to be remembered. They're more likely to be retold and passed along as we convey information to other people. And you know, negativity bias can also influence our decision-making. So the risk of loss tends to kind of weigh a lot more strongly on us more than any kind of possible gains. Um, and so even though we no longer have to be on such high alert kind of in our modern day society, because we have fewer kind of immediate threats and kind of dangers to our you know, physical selves, the negativity bias still persists and can have really big impacts on how we think and how we feel. So all that to say, basically, uh, kind of what I gather from that too, is that like, if you're listening to this and and you realize, oh, this is me as well. Um, I experienced this. I I these things stick to me a lot longer. You're not alone. Like it, it, we we all go through it. it. It is it is something that we um 
are inherent, we inherently start with. I mean, you mentioned it from a very young age. Um, mm-hmm. We can see evidence of that negativity bias taking place. Um, so if you're frustrated by it or you feel like you're alone in it um, or you're the only one that's experiencing that, um, you're really not. Um, and we're all experiencing it in some way. Um, but kind of taking it further from there, is this something we can overcome? Can we sort of rewire our brains to minimize or I, I'm assuming not um, completely eliminate, but um, is there a way to kind of lessen um, that negativity bias? Yeah. So I absolutely love this question. Um, I mean, I think the short answer is yes, there's way we can kind of overcome or minimize negativity bias. Um, and to think about this, I actually really like to look at the literature on emotional aging and older adulthood for this, um, because there have been scores of studies that have shown that there is often a reversal in both kind of attention to and memory in older adults, where this pattern shifts from a negative bias early on in life to a positivity bias that emerges in middle and late adulthood. Um, and this, this is called the positivity effect. And what it is is that older adults are much better and much more likely than younger adults to focus on and remember positive information and disengage from negative events and information. Um, and one reason for this may be that older adults just prioritize different goals than younger adults. So someone who is young and has their whole life ahead of them, they tend to have goals that focus on kind of exploration and expansion. So things like collecting information, they want to do well in their careers and learn new things. And this often comes at the expense of kind of more emotion-focused goals. Whereas older adults, uh, you know, they've kind of had a lived most of their life already. And so they perceive time as a little bit more limited. And so their goals really shift to being more present oriented. Um, And they tend to focus on things like cultivating meaningful relationships, uh, savoring positive moments, um, and holding on to things that are both emotionally meaningful and satisfying. And so this kind of these shifting goals can contribute to kind of this positivity effect. Uh, And I think the really, really great thing about all of these tactics is that we don't necessarily have to wait until we are older to do them. Uh, We can work on cultivating different strategies, um, such as, you know, gratitude, mindfulness, savoring positive moments, um, and reframing negative situations. And in doing so, we can kind of unstick ourselves from these kind of negative mindsets and develop more of a uh, positive outlook. As you were speaking there, I was kind of picturing this scenario in my head of, and this is probably an extremely common scenario of like an older adult, like a parent, um, having a conversation with like a, say a teen or a, a young adult even, um, and kind of talking about like positivity and negativity and how, how that younger person is responding to it in the moment and how it is much more detrimental to them at that time. And Mm -hmm. the eye rolls that ensue from the younger (laughs) person, because they don't have that level of experience or they haven't reached that age where that switch happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and that's almost a source of stress in and of itself um, at times. I mean, I feel like that can be like, a point of contention within families um, in the way that both of those people 
kind of approach a scenario like that and the advice that's given and then the response that is given back. Um, I was just kind of thinking about thinking about how that, like, it was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense as to like why as a younger person, I would roll my eyes at my parents when they would tell me this or that um, related to how I was negatively responding to how I performed as a track and field athlete um, in a middle of the week meet <laughs> that didn't really mean much. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it was, it's really interesting that um, you took that question into a much broader conversation. So I really appreciate that. That was, that's actually something that I've learned new today. Um, yeah, so you're, you were kind of moving down that path. So let's kind of flip um, the coin here and talk about positive psychology, which kind of sounds like it would be the opposite mindset to negativity bias. Um, and I know as far as research goes, it's a relatively new field of study. Um, so can you kind of further explain what positive psychology is or if that differentiates from what you've already started to explain? Yeah, sure. So um, I kind of like to describe positive psychology as the study of people's strengths rather than their weaknesses. And a lot of psychology has kind of focused on people's um, either weaknesses or, or detriments or kind of the negative aspects of, of you know, uh, humans and human behavior. But positive psychology really focuses on various factors and behaviors that allow people to be more resilient in the face of adversity um, or to, to how to build kind of meaning and purpose in life. Um, and to really move just beyond, okay, how do humans survive and focus on what actually helps us flourish and thrive? Um, and some specific examples of this might be how positive emotions such as happiness, joy, or, or love can help us bounce, bounce back and recover from stressful experiences. Um, or how actions like cultivating gratitude and optimism can shape our health and help us increase our uh, general happiness and well-being over time. And so applying the principles of positive psychology, can those sort of minimize or reverse negativity bias or help us deal with that daily stress? Um, is that what I'm picking up from you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's absolutely true. So we, you know, as you know, psychologists kind of recognize that negative emotions hold our attention so much more than positive ones. And so as a result, we want to work on training ourselves to focus on the positive and try to lengthen out the effects of, you know, the positive events that we do experience, but often kind of let go or, you know, don't think about. Um, and so negative and positive emotions can often occur independently of one another. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. You can experience um, feelings of, of happiness while also, you know, experiencing feelings of, of you know, stress or, or irritation. Um, but during times of stress, negative and positive emotions often become more inversely related so that when we have all these negative emotions in response to something stressful, it often kind of crowds out any positive emotions that we might feel. But so what that also means on the flip side is that if we're able to train ourselves to focus on and experience um, positive emotions surrounding stressful experiences, this can be both uh, protective and restorative because positive emotions can potentially interrupt any ongoing negative emotions and can help kind of speed up recovery from any you know, stressful events that we experience by helping people disengage from kind of the negativity that that surrounds uh, kind of uh, stressful events that happen to us. So would you consider positive psychology or, or I guess what positive psychology studies as being sort of like a core element of resilience then? 
I would say that uh, positive psychology is definitely an element of resilience. And we think of resilience um, sometimes more as a, a trait characteristic, but really resilience can also be viewed as this kind of dynamic adaptation in the face of adversity. So it's not necessarily of whether you are kind of more or less resilient, but it's really how you kind of cope and maintain positive emotions in the face of um, you know, stressful, stressful events or things that happen that might kind of cause you to become more, more negative or to hold on and dwell on you know, negative feelings or, or negative emotions. Um, but kind of being able to maintain kind of positive emotions or positivity in the face of those negative events is an aspect that I think can help us cultivate um, resilience. Yeah. So one of those ways uh, of of cultivating more of a, a positive mindset too would be gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've already talked about it a little bit to this point, but how does gratitude help us cope with those daily stressors that we experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, gratitude is a great way to like, kind of like we were talking about already, um, really help us train our minds to focus on positive events and positive emotions and kind of, you know, crowd out some of those, you know, negative responses and kind of reduce that negativity bias. Um, and so gratitude, what it, what it really is, is a focus on an expression of appreciation for the good things going on in our lives. Um, and there are many, many benefits of practicing gratitude. Uh, so when people focus on things that they're thankful for, they, you know, experience more positive emotions, such as feeling happy, um, you know, for the things that they have, whether it's for their family or their health or their jobs. Um, and, and another thing that gratitude does that's really important is practicing gratitude forces you to stop dwelling on past negative events or from worrying about upcoming potential stressful events by kind of engaging in the present moment. And so when you think about things that are good in your life, it's much harder to kind of ruminate on negative experiences because you're not focused on that anymore. Um, and, and gratitude can also improve other aspects of, of coping strategies for dealing with stress as well. So not only can gratitude lead to more positive emotions, but it can also improve your relationships and feelings of connections with others, which is incredibly beneficial for our ability to manage stress and maintain our well-being. Uh, gratitude can also do things like improve our physical health by promoting healthy behaviors. Um, so people who uh, practice gratitude more often are more likely to do things like, like practice self-care, such as kind of eating well and exercising. And so gratitude can really uh, help cultivate not only a mindset, but also um, an ability for us to uh, kind of cope with stress in our daily lives. I think it was important that you mentioned the sort of the internal and external effects of practicing gratitude as well, mm -hmm. because you can also practice gratitude both internally and externally, um, whether it be focusing on things that you're kind of grateful for um, and, and maybe writing about those or thinking about those um, versus expressing that to someone else and why you're thankful for them specifically. Um, so it becomes more of a connection piece at that point. Um, so do you see in the research, is there any difference between practicing that more internally focused gratitude versus a more externally focused one? Um, I think that they are both beneficial forms of kind of gratitude to practice. So, you know, there are a couple of different 
ways that we can cultivate gratitude in our daily lives. One thing is that we can just practice gratitude by writing things down. Um, so we can write down, it's called the three good things um, exercise. And you can write down three things that you are grateful for um, before bed. And so it's uh, something that you don't necessarily have to share with other people, but even as you do this for yourself, this practice has been shown to be incredibly beneficial because it's been shown to help us sleep better, reduce our stress, improve things uh, such as pain and anxiety. And so what we, what this helps us do is that this kind of practice allows our kind of final moments before we sleep to be filled with happy thoughts um, instead of ruminating about all the bad things that have happened that day. And so this helps us sleep better, which enhances our mood and our immune function the following day. And so that can have really positive benefits, um, even if we aren't sharing it with other people, but just kind of positive benefits for ourselves. Um, but then another practice, like you mentioned, is to do things like write thank you notes or to write gratitude letters. Or, or maybe you make it a point to call up people in your life and tell them that you appreciate them and are thinking about them. So kind of this external show of gratitude. Um, and by calling up your friends or family to you know, check on them and tell them how much you mean to them is a really great way to strengthen social ties and connections and increase feelings of love and support, which is um, you know incredibly important for you know our ability to kind of deal with stress and to maintain you know health and happiness is to really kind of create that uh, social network and to feel that we have people who love us and support us. So do you have any advice or tips for how we can get ourselves to do these things more often? Because um, we now we've heard the benefits of it. We've heard a couple of practices that you can do, but that that kind of last step is actual action upon those. So do you have any tips for how people could do that? Yeah, you know, so I think some people will say, oh, well, you know, it's easy to just write down three things you're thankful for each day. Um, but, you know, cultivating gratitude isn't always easy, especially during rough times or times of hardship, you know, such as dealing with the pandemic um, or if you're going through a, a rough spot with family or friends um, or you're struggling with money and money is tight. Uh, it can seem really difficult to find things to be grateful for. And I think the important thing to kind of remember is that you can get the same benefits from gratitude just by focusing on small things that you are thankful for. So even if it's a really small thing like, hey, you got your kids ready for school on time today, you know, <laughs> they actually caught on the bus and, and left on time. Uh, or you had a friend that listened as you, you know, shared some sort of challenges at work, um, even kind of recounting those kind of small things and thinking about kind of small instances can still be really beneficial for cultivating gratitude. Um, another thing is that it really helps to be specific. So when you are focusing on cultivating gratitude, uh, it can be a little bit, you know, sometimes boring or, or seemingly not as helpful if day after day you say, okay, oh, well, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my family. You know, pretty soon it kind of starts to become a little bit like, well, okay, I'm thankful to my family, but the those feelings become less um, less helpful because it's kind of the the same you know thing over and over again. So it can really help to be specific. So thinking about specific things that you're grateful for that day, and what was it about your family that you were grateful for in that moment or for that day? So maybe it was the fact that your um, you know, you gave your family member a hug, right? Or you hugged your partner or your spouse came and gave you a back rub because they knew you were feeling incredibly stressed. Um, but focusing on specific instances of gratitude can be 
um, really beneficial for kind of being in that moment and focusing on the positive. Um, and then I think my final piece of advice would be that you can expand your definition of gratitude to find gratitude anywhere. So both internally and externally. So, you know, oftentimes we think about things that we are grateful for externally. So you could think, oh, maybe I'm just grateful for the fact that I have a really great cup of coffee um, or a conversation with a friend or that I'm reading a particularly good book um, or that I got to go uh, on a walk with my dog today. Um, you can be grateful for these external things, but you can also be grateful for things you value about yourself. So maybe you're grateful that you made it, you know, you just made it through a hard day at work. Or maybe you're grateful that, you know, you're a really good listener for your friend or your partner. Whatever it is, whether it's something that's external or whether it's something that's internal, uh, it's important to just take a moment to acknowledge that and also savor kind of those feelings of kind of, you know, happiness and positivity that that brings. I think your tips there too are are really great for continuing that as a practice um, mm-hmm. because we can get some good energy um, at the beginning to, to start something like that. Um, and if we're keeping it with the, the, the sort of really big, broad things that we're grateful for, we're going to run out of those really quickly. If mm-hmm. we're not making them specific, you already mentioned it. It's going to start to kind of lose its meaning. Um, it's going to be a little bland or a little boring um, mm-hmm. when you're you're not being specific about exactly why. And I think that helps us hone in for the real reason that we're grateful, not that we're just grateful for our family. We're grateful because they did or do X, Y, and Z for us. Um, and then expanding that definition is a really good one too, because um, I think we there's a lot of traditional ways um, that people think about gratitude and, and expressing that to others or for sort of what we have. But it could be, like you said, it could be as simple as like being grateful for the meal that's in front of you. Um, and that's a very specific, very small and more of an expanded definition of something you're grateful for. Um, and I think that helps you find more things to be grateful for over the long terms so that you don't run out and it doesn't feel like a stale process for you. Um, And so this is kind of where I get into a a shameless plug a little bit too. We're actually helping you with this process as well. Um, So December 15th, 2021 through January 14th, 2022, we're actually hosting a 31 Days of Gratitude Challenge. Um, That'll be through the MoveSpring app that we already use for our step challenges and Move Well Rewards. Um, So you'll be able to sign up for that on your health and wellness dashboard. Um, And basically, once you sign into that challenge, Each of those 31 days, you'll be getting a different way to practice gratitude, and it includes a lot of prompts for things that may be smaller. Um, So it's uh, a lot of different ways, whether they are internally versus externally focused, um, whether they're maybe a writing prompt versus like a thought process versus like a mindfulness prompt. Um, We're trying to expose you to a lot of different ways that you can practice gratitude so that it becomes more of a regular practice for you um, so that you don't feel like you are going at it alone either. So um, they're really just suggestions, though. Um, we're really putting them out there for people to use. Um, but you're welcome to take part in the challenge. Um, we're encouraging people to do at least 21 days out of those 31. Um, but you can do as many or as few as you're able to get to, and you can practice them in any way that you want to. Um, so if, if that's something that's interesting to you, feel free to check the show note links because they'll have it there um, on where you can sign up. Um, and then we'll also be giving away some books as well. So definitely go check that out. That's something that interests you. 
but we've basically kind of been talking about positive psychology and gratitude as more or less this path to like increasing happiness um, or kind of increasing our more broadly our like subjective sense of well-being. But um, like other guests have talked about regarding self-care, I assume it's really not a panacea. It's not going to solve it all um, necessarily. So what are some other important strategies for mitigating daily stress? Again, since this is your sort of area of expertise. Yeah, I think that is, um, it's an excellent point. So gratitude and cultivating positive emotions are wonderful approaches for coping with, you know, stress that you experience in daily life, but it's by far from the only way to do it. Um, and there's a lot of research showing that, you know, gratitude is not kind of an end all cure that, you know, some people might think it is. Um, and so things like expressing gratitude are one approach, but it's, uh, it is far from the only approach and we don't have to be grateful in order to reduce our stress and our loneliness and, and our anxiety. So there's, I think a couple of different strategies that I really like to talk about as ways to, uh, kind of cope with stress, especially when you're feeling kind of really kind of out of, out of control and, and overwhelmed by things that are happening in your life. So things such as simple breathing and relaxation exercises may help. Um, paced breathing is an activity that can activate relaxation components of our nervous system. And so actually just focusing on kind of this meditative breathing can physically actually lower our heart rate and our blood pressure. And that can help when we just feel that things are just so overwhelming that we don't really know how to stop and deal with things. Um, focusing our breathing can really help us regulate our physiological responses to stress. Another strategy might be to focus on things that you have control over. So if you're feeling particularly like things, everything's out of control and you, you know, just don't know how to deal with things that are going on in your life and you're feeling overwhelmed, um, we can often think about all the things in life that are outside of our control. And stress is, we know this, that it's at its worst when it's unpredictable and uncontrollable. Um, and so the important thing to realize is that we have a lot of feelings of control are in our mind. And so even imagined control can really help our, us kind of deal with you know, events in our, in our life. So we can control a lot of things in our life. We can control even just kind of small things about what type of clothes we wear, um, you know, what attitude we have that day, what we eat, how we spend our day, when we choose to go outside. And so even when we feel like we don't have control over stressful things in our life, we do have control over many things. And if we're able to focus on those things, that can help us regain kind of a sense of control that can be really helpful when we approach um, kind of you know, daily stressful events. Another thing I like to mention is that often when we're stressed, we are really amped up. So our adrenaline is up, we feel anxious, and we feel full of nervous energy. Often in these situations, it's not a great time to try and make yourself feel calm because our bodies are already so amped up and we need some sort of outlet for that energy. And so when you're feeling that way, sometimes the best thing to do is to physically match that energy and to get rid of it. You know, uh, do some exercise, do some jumping jacks, um, go on a run or download a workout routine. And this will result in multiple benefits as you're able to get rid of that excess energy. Plus, you get the added kind of calm and health benefits that arise from, from physical exercises. And so depending on kind of what the situation is and how you're feeling, different strategies may work better for you in different uh, situations. Yeah, the, uh, that, that amped up feeling and those feelings of anxiety when you're in that moment. 
and trying to to sometimes calm yourself down and like go do like a 20 minute meditation i that's backfired on me <laughs> a few mm-hmm. times before um, where you get into it and like you just are still ruminating and it's like mm-hmm. it, it's lessening it a little bit a lot of times um and a lot of times it works for me um but there are times where if i'm particularly amped up um, if I, if I try to do something like that, I, I kind of end up even more frustrated. I'm like, ah, this is stupid. I got to go do something else. Um, so you mentioned other healthy behaviors, um, within that. So the things like eating a little healthier, um, or particularly like moving your body, um, and matching that amped up energy so that, um, you sort of kind of get that out of your system. It sounds like. And I, th- I think you were kind of kind of getting to this point as well with those um, those longer term healthy habits that we have. Things like sleep and those types of things play into this quite a bit as well, and how we manage um, and deal with those daily stressors that we don't have control over. And I really like that you pointed out the separating the things that you can't control from the things that we can control. Um, and my colleague, Amy Rodquist Cadet, um, actually did a video on this. So she has a practice that you can go through um, to kind of help you go through this process of separating the things that you can't control and really focusing on the things that you can control and then coming up with those ways that work for you. Um, because you you already mentioned it, there some strategies work better for some people um, or maybe some strategies work better for certain scenarios. So discovering those can be sort of a daunting shot in the dark kind of practice sometimes. So um, if that's something that interests you and you want to learn a bit more about that, um, I can share that in the show notes as well to kind of help you, again, determine what are the things that I can control um, and let's focus on those things um, so that I can manage the things that I cannot control or the response to the things that I cannot control. So for those looking to learn more about sort of mitigating daily stress, um, including cultivating more gratitude, what are some tools or resources that you recommend for diving deeper um, into the topic or maybe finding additional support? Yeah, uh, so that's a, another great question. Um, there are a lot of resources available, um, especially online for managing daily stress, um, cultivating gratitude, or just learning a little bit more about, you know, a variety of kind of coping strategies that you can you know, use in, in your daily life. Um, you know, there's this really great book specifically on gratitude that's called The Five-Minute Gratitude Journal, Give Thanks, Practice Positivity, and Find Joy, that is written by my colleague and friend, Dr. Sophia Godkin at the University of California at Irvine. And it's a really great um, Uh, kind of how-to guide if you want to learn a little bit more about how to practice gratitude. And if you're like, I know that I want to learn this, but I'm not quite sure where to start. It gives really kind of good bite-sized activities that you can do to break down how you can learn to start practicing gratitude and developing more kind of positivity um, in your life. Um, So that's a really great resource. There are a lot of kind of guided meditations out there either on you know, like YouTube videos or different apps that you can download. Um, one that I particularly like is called Headspace. Um, you can go to headspace.com. It's an app for guided meditation and gratitude exercises. And they have a variety of different kind of short um, guided practices to really help you um, you know, stop dwelling on either past or future events, you know, focusing on the present. Uh, they have breathing exercises there as well to really kind of help you get Uh, rid of those kind of negative emotions and really kind of focus on the positive. 
Uh, and there, those are just a couple that I mentioned, but there are many more out there as well that are good. Um, and then also uh, another resource that I particularly like is UC Berkeley puts out a Greater Good magazine. Um, they also have this content available online. And there's a lot of good articles about not just um, positive psychology, but how stress impacts our health and different ways to kind of cope with, you know, stress and stressors throughout our, our daily lives that can be really beneficial, um, you know, for helping us kind of manage manage our, our emotions and our responses to stress. Yeah, the greater good. That's actually not the... Um... Not the first time it's been mentioned on the show. I, I think I've actually mentioned it in the past as well, and I think Amy Rockless Cadet did too. Um, she's mm -hmm. the one that turned me on um, to that group, and they have a really great podcast um, that, that I'll link in the show notes. Um, again, um, that's it's definitely something to, to dive in if you do like listening to podcasts. Um, hopefully mm -hmm. you do because you're here listening. Um, but yeah, they have a ton of great resources on their website too, um, and mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of those um, thirty one gratitude suggestions that we'll give out in the challenge um, came from greater good as well. Um, so that's definitely something worth worth diving into, especially related to this topic. Um, and you mentioned the apps, um, Headspace, I've mm -hmm. used that one um, for the last couple of years, I really like it, um, especially kind of for the meditation track. And um, I also have I, I managed to get a free um, trial membership for calm as well. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's the other kind of competing app. Um, I also think it's great. Um, they they have small differences between them, uh, but I don't think you're going to go wrong with either one. Um, but yeah, those are those are both really great resources. Um, definitely worth looking into um, if you're looking for that. Um, and then I'll mention two from HR, um, the things that we have available. Obviously, I mentioned the 31 Days of Gratitude Challenge already, but um, we also have our health coaches that you can do consults with for free. Um, so that's Amy and Jackie. Um, both of them you've heard on the show before if you've been a regular listener. Um, and then we also have our Work Plus Life Connections mental health therapist. Um, they also, you get five free sessions per year with them as an employee. So um, definitely take advantage of those resources um, if you're looking for additional support um, and trying to figure out how to unlock these things. Um, we're absolutely here for you um, to help you with any of that process, no matter where you are in that process. So um, we're, like I said, we're here for you and definitely take advantage um, if, you, if you need that additional support. So one kind of final fun question for you. I ask each guest um, for a song that they relate to or use for their own resilience. Um, and then I add that to our wildly resilient playlist on Spotify. So what's your go-to song? Oh, great. Yeah, I love music. Um, so I think, you know, I guess based on everything we've been talking about, about how coping with, with stress isn't a kind of simple blanket approach, that it really depends on the situation and how I want to feel at the moment. So I actually have two responses for you. Um, the first is that, so I love classical music. And so when I'm feeling like overwhelmed or just everything is just kind of a little bit too much and I really just want to kind of focus on, you know, breathing and feeling calm, I'll listen to something that is really kind of moving and serene. So, um, Vaughn Williams is a, you know, an English composer and he composed a, a song called the a theme on Thomas Tallis for string orchestra. And that uh, is just such a kind of serene, calm, moving piece that whenever I listen to it, I you know, can kind of automatically helps me kind of feel a little bit less stressed and just helps me slow down a little bit. Um, but when I'm, you know, in a different situation, like so, for example, when I'm faced with, like, say, a stressful obstacle that I want to view more as a challenge rather than as something that's threatening or a stressor and I want to really kind of amp myself up and get excited 
I'll listen to something that's much more upbeat. Um, so I, I love Queen. I listen to a lot of Queen. So something like Queen's Don't Stop Me Now just kind of gets me in that mindset that's like, okay, I can do this. You know, I, I can do anything. You can't stop me. Um, and so kind of those two uh, uh, different, different uh, songs are my two kind of go-tos for what songs I like to listen to in different circumstances. You've checked two boxes that we haven't had on the playlist yet. We haven't had Queen, surprisingly. That's right. Um, and we haven't, I don't think we've had any classical yet either. So that's great. Um, it's further expanding the uh, net that this um, playlist is casting. So I'm really excited to, to add those onto the playlist because they're, um, it, it, it really is a very eclectic list. Um, and I really enjoy asking this question and I hope I can keep asking it for a while because um, it's, it's fun to hear the answers and, and why particularly that people are choosing the songs that they choose um, because they are so different um, if you go look at that playlist. So uh, maybe you'll, you'll find some new genres or new artists or anything if you go dive into that playlist. So definitely check that out. Um, that link will be in the show notes as well. So finally, what's the uh, one thing that you hope listeners take away from this conversation? Um, I think that the takeaway message that I would like to impart is that how we cope with stressful events in our daily lives can have really important effects on our health and well-being. And these effects and impacts aren't just immediate, but there are major long-term physical and mental health consequences for how we deal with daily stress. And that taking time to develop kind of positive coping strategies, either like gratitude or other habits, can be incredibly beneficial for our long-term physical and mental health. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming on um, and sharing all your knowledge on negativity bias and positive psychology and gratitude and just those other daily strategies for coping with that regular stress that we experience on a daily or a weekly basis. So um, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for our final episode of 2021. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and sharing the show with your colleagues. It's because of you that I'm able to continue this project, and I look forward to bringing you more conversations in 2022. So reach out to us at healthandwellness at uky.edu if you have topics you'd like covered, questions you'd like answered, or suggestions for how we can make the show better. And before I go, I also want to let you know about a page of simple tools my colleagues and I gathered to help you create more calm, hope, and connection through the holidays, New Year, and beyond. We know that many of us still experience feelings of stress or isolation during this time, and there can also be a sense of uncertainty as many things remain out of our control. If you're feeling this way, you're not alone. Your well-being matters, and we're here for you. Check the link in the show notes to explore our collection of blog posts, videos, and audio recordings. Until next time, try practicing some gratitude, take care of yourself and others, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. 
There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email healthandwellness at uky.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash hr slash well-being. Live well.